Well, once again, welcome you who are here in person, you who are joining us online as we continue our series, This Is My Story. And uh, we have had the privilege of listening to members of our church family uh, share their Jesus stories with us, and uh, we've been so grateful for that. Susan, thank you for your story today. And uh, we also are looking at stories from the Gospel of John, people who were touched by Jesus and had a a story or testimony to tell. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 9. We're going to look at uh, a man, if he were sitting on uh, the leather sofa upstairs, uh, he would say, Jesus, open my eyes. Jesus opened my eyes in more ways than one. And I think that's such an important message on Palm Sunday. Because we know that on on, on Palm Sunday, a crowd can see Jesus one way and then five days later they can see him completely differently on Good Friday. Uh, We know that their vision was impaired and we know that so often our spiritual vision is impaired. And that's why we need this passage in John chapter 9. We're going to be referring to the whole chapter. It's a long chapter. Uh, It's almost like a play in a sense. Uh, But I'm going to read to us uh, just the first seven verses. But before we do, I wonder if you, as we walk through this passage, as we walk through the sermon, I wonder if you would have this little prayer kind of on your heart. And the prayer is, Jesus, what do you want me to see today? How do you want to open my spiritual eyes today? Can that prayer be in your heart as we read John 9, 1 to 7? Hear the word of the Lord. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing God bless the reading of his word. You ever heard the phrase, looks can be deceiving? When I was a kid, my family and I were driving to see my grandparents. Maybe it was a hot summer day. Maybe I was in the middle seat. Maybe I was leaning forward as I was wont to do in a day before seatbelts. Maybe uh, I would see up the highway ahead of us and I would see on this hot summer day what looked to be a pool of water in the middle of the highway. But as we got closer, the pool completely disappeared. It was just a trick of the light. It was just a mirage. Looks can be deceiving. Every year, in virtually every community, somebody approaches an intersection that's filled with rainwater that's overflowed from a flood. And every year, some driver makes a determination, ah, the water can't be that deep. And uh, they kind of gun the car and they move out into the intersection, but, but the water was deeper than they realized. And suddenly the car begins to turn in the direction of the stream. Looks can be deceiving. We, we know that, don't we? And I wonder how often our, our spiritual vision causes us to be deceived. 
I wonder how often our spiritual vision impacts the decisions that we make. I wonder how often false hopes arise like a mirage. I wonder how often hidden dangers are there at the intersections of our life. I wonder how often we miss spiritual opportunities that are right in front of us. These these are the kinds of questions I want us to think about as we look at this man born blind. His encounter begins in verse one. Verse one says, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem. Our best guess is that they're walking toward the temple when they see the blind man. You know, in in ancient Israel, I mean, if you were blind, you were completely dependent upon others for mercy and, and for food and for support. And so your family might position you near a holy place or there's people who are kind of walking in and out of church and they have a lot of good feelings in their heart. They would see you and be more inclined to, to give alms to, to support you. And there's a good chance that's how Jesus and his disciples encountered this man. And, and somehow that encounter caused his disciples to ask a question that was both abrupt and I think we would have to say very callous. In verse two, it says his disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that he was born blind? Apparently, Jesus' disciples had never read the book of Job. they, they, they assume that whenever there's suffering, there's always a simple explanation. And we do know that sometimes our suffering is connected to our sinful behavior. Uh, but we also know that there are times when, when there's no simple explanation for suffering. And think about it, this, this man was born blind and, 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 and the, the disciples are saying, was it his parents or was it him? Like in the womb, uh, sinning, and, and that's why he, he was born blind from birth. Jesus realizes that his disciples need a lesson in spiritual vision. And so Jesus is gonna intervene in this man's life, this man's story, and, and, and this blind man is gonna become a, be- a beneficiary of Jesus' healing touch, but also I think the disciples, and in fact we ourselves, can be beneficiaries of what Jesus wants to teach us through this encounter. And I like to think if that man born blind were sitting on that leather sofa, he would say that one of the things that Jesus taught him and one of the things that Jesus can teach us is that we need to peer beneath the surface of things. We need to learn to peer beneath the surface. The disciples thought they could look on the outside of this tragic situation and easily understand what was going on on the inside. They never stopped for a moment to think what it must feel like to be that man born blind. They never stopped for a moment to discuss how to help him. It's just like they thought he he was just kind of the the setup for a, a, a theological essay question. They never stopped to consider the plans that God might have for him. Instead, they just looked on the exterior of the situation and they assumed they knew what was going on on the inside. They thought there were simple, simplistic answers to life's greatest mysteries. But Jesus tells them otherwise in verse three. What does he say? Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, he's not saying they were without sin, but sinned in a way to cause this blindness. 
He said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What a powerful verse that is. Jesus says, I'm not gonna give you simplistic answers for suffering. I'm gonna ask you though to look deeper and see what God can do in the midst of mysterious suffering. Sometimes we just look at the surface. God wants us to look deeper. So often with suffering, we will never know the answer why. But still there's this possibility that we can experience a deeper sense of God and his presence in the midst of our suffering. In other words, our suffering can become a stage where God's power is displayed. Our pain can become that place where Jesus shows himself most profoundly, where his presence and love and holiness and power are put on display. Look, I would never wanna minimize anybody's pain or suffering. It's a mystery, so often a mystery. But I do wonder, instead of exclusively asking, why, why, why is this happening? What if in addition to why, which we all ask, what if we ask the question, what if? What if? What if I could see, God, how you make yourself present in the midst of my suffering? What if I can get a deeper vision of what you're up to in the midst of my present pain? That's what Jesus does for the blind man and presumably for his disciples as well because he says to them in verses four and five, he says, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me, God who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Jesus wants his disciples to know that he will overcome blindness by shining the light. You know, I, I can look back on seasons of my life and, and, and think about times when I spent so much time asking why and not nearly enough time asking what if. What if Jesus could bring his gigantic flashlight into this season of my life? What if in the midst of pain, Jesus wants to show me something beautiful about himself and his plans for my life? What if Jesus has an urgency about this chapter in life? I mean, we know night comes for all of us, but right now it's daytime. Right now, Jesus is working in our lives. What if this stage of suffering could become an amphitheater for Jesus to reveal his glory in the midst of my pain. The blind man would say, Jesus turned on the light. He, he used my suffering as a stage for his power. He taught us to look beyond the surface and to look toward the mysterious center of what God is up to in the midst of pain. But I think the blind man would say something else. If he were sitting on the leather sofa, if he were sharing his story, he would say Jesus taught us something else. Jesus taught us, secondly, to peer around the blind spots of life. To peer around blind spots. You know how when you're back in your car, maybe it's an older car, you don't have that camera, uh, and, and, uh, and there are certain things that your rearview mirror is not gonna show you. Um, and maybe if like, I looked at your rear bumper or you looked at my rear bumper, we might, we might see visible evidence of our own blind spots, of the things that we missed in the mirror, the things that we backed into. Well, that's true of our driving. I also think it's true of our lives because our souls also have blind spots. 
And one of the amazing things about this passage, amazing in a, in a tragic way, is that in the midst of Jesus' miraculous power in healing the man born blind, there are people who still have blind spots, who still fail to see what Jesus is up to. I mean, this is a miraculous uh, 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 experience of God's grace. And in verses six and seven, imagine you were watching it and you know, Jesus, uh, he spits on the ground and he makes this mud and, and then he puts it on the man's eyes and, and you're just thinking, oh, that's gross. And uh, right as you're thinking that, he tells the man, I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam and, and just kind of wash that mud off. And, and so the man is probably led by others and he makes his way to the pool and he, he, he washes almost like a baptism. He washes uh, this mud off of his face and oh, by the way, he comes home seeing. He comes home seeing. Now you would think at this point, that everyone who knew this man, all of his neighbors, all the people that he knew from synagogue, you know, everybody in that part of town who passed him twice a day, every day as he was sitting there begging, you would think at that point people would be hanging streamers, uh, they would be cranking up the music, they would be grilling kosher hot dogs, they would be celebrating, right, this incredible miracle. But it turns out that almost everybody that confronts this miracle has their own blind spot to confront. We've already talked about the blindness of the disciples, how callous they were in the midst of another person's suffering. But there are others involved. In fact, maybe you had a chance through the, the, the guidance of the growth guide, maybe you had a chance to read through the whole chapter, John 9, and you noticed how virtually every constituency has a blind spot. Did you notice that? Like, for example, take the neighbors of this man. Some of the neighbors see him, and, 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 and now he's walking around, and, and he clearly has 20-20 vision, and, uh, and some of the neighbors say, uh, it's not the same guy, no. It just looks like the man born blind. It's a stunt double. It is not the same guy. This is not a real healing or miracle. What's their blind spot? It's unbelief. Unbelief. They refuse to believe that Jesus has healing power. I mean, all of us suffer from doubts from time to time, but these neighbors refuse to open their minds up to the possibility that Jesus is God's son. Now, I'm gonna just venture that most of us here, most of us who are joining us online today have some measure of belief in God. I mean, we're... We're here, right? <laughs> I mean, unless somebody drug us here, we're, which is a possibility, but, but most of us, we, we came here on our own volition. There's something that got us out of bed and out of our jammies today to, to come to church. But still, I wonder if there's a limit to that belief that is keeping us from seeing Jesus clearly. When I was in high school, there was a wonderful lay leader and businessman at our church, Mr. Jeffries, and he had this kind of pipe uh, uh, warehouse, and he used to hire 
uh, older teenagers from the church to, to work for him, and I'm just sure he lost so much money uh, doing that ministry. And uh, I remember that, you know, I, I worked for him for a time, and uh, he had the station wagon, and he would have us kind of go and pick up stuff and make deliveries. And because he had teenage drivers uh, driving his station wagon, he had a governor in, uh, installed on the engine. And we could drive so fast, but no faster. Uh, now, when you've got teenage boys behind the wheel of your station wagon, a governor is a great idea. Okay? But a governor for your faith is a terrible idea. The neighbors had a governor. Their, their belief only went so far. They'd seen clear evidence of a miracle, but they couldn't fully trust him. Is that a blind spot for you right now? Unbelief. Can we peer around it? There's a second constituency that had a blind spot, and that's the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious experts. They were in control. They had all the religious power. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and it was a lot of power in a deeply religious community in, in Jerusalem. And so when Jesus comes along, and he has a different kind of power, Jesus is perceived as a real threat to them. And so the Pharisees, instead of toasting, uh, you know, raising a glass and toasting this miracle of Jesus, they have a different blind spot, and I think their blind spot is pride. And their pride leads them to launch an investigation about this miracle. They, they view this miracle as a crime because it was done on the Sabbath day, and they want to know what kind of work was involved in making this saliva and dirt paste and all that kind of stuff uh, because they believe that work should not have been done on the Sabbath. And so they question the man and they question his parents in an accusatory way. Now I know it's so easy to dunk on the Pharisees, right? It's so easy, ah, oh, those Pharisees, right? But, but we know what pride looks like and we know how often our pride is a blind spot for us. It's been many, many years ago now, we had a, a, a pastor come and lead a, a winter weekend here for our students. And this man and his wife, they had a, a, just a really unusual story. They'd been through a lot of suffering, much of it self-inflicted, and yet God had used um, uh, Christ's mercy and a really merciful and gracious church to, to rally around them and, and in a miraculous way. And this man actually you know, was called to be a pastor. And, and I, don't, I don't throw this word around a lot, but, but listening to him speak, which I did several times, I just feel like he was anointed. I, I just feel that the Holy Spirit was speaking through him in such profound ways. And, and during this weekend, we had kids respond uh, to God's power, but we also had adults respond in unusual ways when this man spoke. And I'll never forget, I was standing like right there, kind of like halfway back, and the session was over, it was a Saturday morning, and all the students were filing out for snacks, and it was just, it had been such a powerful, moving session that this pastor had led. And one of our teenagers looked at me, and she said, don't you wish you could preach that way? <laughs> and I said, yes. And my heart was just saying, no fair, <laughs> no fair. 
I'd be lying if I said in the midst of my joy over lives being changed, there wasn't just a little bit of wounded pride. How come he is doing that and I'm not doing that? (laughs) Pride is a, a blind spot that can obstruct our spiritual vision. What's the blind spot you face? Is it unbelief? Is it pride? Is Jesus a threat to your control of your life? For me, the saddest encounter of all happens with the parents of the formerly blind men. The Pharisees, as I mentioned, they launched this investigation. They're interrogating. Uh, they're saying to the, you know, is this man your son? What happened? Was he truly born blind? Is this an actual miracle? And the parents basically plead the fifth. They say, we can verify he is our son. We can verify he was born blind. But, but look at verse 21. The parents say, but, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Ask him. Don't ask us. What was their blind spot? Fear. Verse 22 tells us that specifically. They were afraid. They were afraid the Pharisees would use their power to kick this family out of the synagogue. They'd lose their friends. They'd lose their religion. Maybe they'd lose their customers. Uh, They'd lose their way of life. And that fear is no small thing. When you and I choose to confess Christ, uh, there is so often a price that we have to pay. I think if this blind man were sitting on the sofa, he would say this whole experience This encounter with Jesus and then the crowd and then the strange interactions with the neighbors and the Pharisees and even his own parents. I I think the blind man would say, you know, there's so many different ways we can miss the point. There's so many different ways we can dwell in the shadows when the light of the world is with us. Can I ask you this morning, what would it be for you and maybe you're saying, Larry, if I knew my blind spot, I wouldn't be backing into stuff, okay? I, I, I get that. But, 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 but what, 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 might, what, what, what is obscuring your vision today? Is it pride? Is it an attempt to control everything in your life? Is it unbelief? Are you letting your doubts carry, carry you away instead of doubting your doubts? Is it worry? Is it... Is it a paralyzing fear of what might happen if you went public with your Jesus story? I think if the man born blind were here, he would say that Jesus taught him, taught us to look deeper than the secular surface of life. That Jesus taught us to identify blind spots that keep us from seeing him clearly and professing him courageously. But then I think he would say something else. I think the man born blind would say Jesus allowed us to peer into his face. Sometimes, you know, we hear a rumor of Jesus. We know just enough to be confused. But Jesus, in his mercy, keeps on revealing himself. He keeps helping us to go deeper. He keeps removing blind spots. And then what happens is is similar to what happens here. And I wish I could walk through this with you in detail, but instead we're gonna have to jog. But I just want you to see how the man born blind, how his understanding of Jesus grows deeper and more vivid over the course of John chapter nine. Because you see, when they first ask him what happened, 
he says in verse 11, he says, well, there, there's this man, I guess you met him, uh, his name's Yeshua, his name's Jesus, and, and he did something, <laughs> okay? So that's kind of his uh, limited understanding of who Jesus is. But then it grows, and when he's asked by the Pharisees what happened, in verse 17, he says, well, clearly this man was in fact a, a prophet. He must be a prophet. He must have not be an ordinary man, but some kind of holy man of God to be able to do this. And then still later, in verse 33, he says he's, he's a man, but, but he's, he's clearly sent from God. So he's not just a prophet, but, 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 but heaven has sent this man to us. You see how his vision is growing clearer? And this infuriates the prideful Pharisees and they toss him out of the synagogue. Now he's homeless, now he's friendless. Well, not exactly friendless. Because Jesus approaches him again. And Jesus asks the man born blind, do you believe in the son of man, referring to himself? And the man born blind says, I love this, he says, well, if you can point him out, I'll believe in him. <laughs> if you show me the son of man, you better believe I'll believe in him. And Jesus says, I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus says, you're looking at him. And you know how the man responds in verse 38? Lord, Lord, I believe. Look at how his faith grew over the process. Lord, I believe. You know, I think this is interesting. It was verse seven when his physical eyes were healed. It took to verse 38 before he says, Lord, I believe, before his spiritual vision is clear. I love this. The man born blind saw that he was going to lose his status with the synagogue. But it didn't matter to him if he was accepted by Jesus. Because if he had Jesus, he had the temple, because Jesus tells us he's the temple. If he has Jesus, he has the family, a new family, the body of Christ. If he has Jesus, he has a home. He has an eternal home. If he has Jesus, his eyesight, his spiritual vision grew and grew and grew. And the scriptures say one day we will be like Jesus because we will see him face to face. Church, I can still remember as a child marveling, marveling the first time someone took this camera and it wasn't a, a smaller camera like I was used to seeing, but it was this big boxy camera and they pointed it toward my face and they told me to say cheese and I did and they clicked the button and then this little off-white square just kind of shot out of the camera and, and they showed it to me and it was this sort of brownish, yellowish, beigeish blob of nothingness. But then for some reason they kind of shook it and I think they put it under their arm maybe, I don't remember, and they shook it some more and they showed it to me again and suddenly there were forms and there were shadows and then I kept looking and there were vague images and colors and then I saw my face and it all happened in about 60 seconds. What kind of strange magic is this, little Larry asked himself. Is this the Jetsons? Are we living in the Jetsons? Is, is this the future? Little Larry asked him so. I think with the man born blind, it took a little longer than 60 seconds. 
And sometimes for us, it takes a lot longer than 60 seconds to see the face of Jesus in our hearts. Sometimes our doubt and pride and fear obscure his face completely. But I also think, as I look at my own life, that I think I see Jesus a little more clearly than I did 20 years ago or 40 years ago because I've had those years to see his incredible patience with me, to experience his incredible forgiveness of my sin, to experience his ongoing, steadfast, sustaining power and grace, to feel his healing touch on my tired soul. And I pray for us, church, that as we continue to peer in his direction, that his face, that his presence, that his love would grow clearer and clearer and clearer each passing year. I pray that the light of his face would melt the doubt and the pride and the fear. I pray that we can say with the man born blind, Jesus, you're more than a man, you're more than a prophet, you're more than a man sent from God, you are the Lord and you open our eyes Church, this is our story. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. And you bring your redeeming presence into our lives. And Lord, you bring your presence into our lives so often when we are suffering. That's when we feel your presence most acutely. Lord, I know it's so natural in the midst of pain to ask, why? Why, why is this happening? But Lord, would you teach us today to ask a second question, and that's what if? What if in the midst of pain, you are revealing your power? Lord, would you forgive us of unbelief Would you forgive us of pride? Would you forgive us of a craven fear that fails to acknowledge you? Lord, would you cause our understanding of you in this moment to grow deeper, our picture of you in this moment to be clearer as we put our hope and trust and faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.